If there is one phrase that has been the buzzwords of every Jackson economic, entrepreneurial, educational, journalistic, political, or artistic panel discussion from the dive bars to the comic shop to the courthouse for the past decade, it's been brain drain. Ooh, brain drain. It sounds like what's been going on in our heads since the whole quarantine began, but I know you're going somewhere else with this, right? I'm just thinking about where we are now, with the flag finally removed, and how long it took us to get here. For one thing, the brain drain phenomenon on a statewide level refers to those of us who have been brought up and educated in state, only to end up leaving at a significant rate. Well, that's true. I know both of us were really sad to leave home for other opportunities, grad school, new jobs, but opportunity isn't the only reason why other young people have left. In the last few years, the pace of Mississippi has been on the lagging side of modern culture, which has put a barrier to progress for so many industries, film, tourism. And having attended several public forums on the subject, the flag was always brought up. It was a brand embarrassment, and Mississippi students really just wanted to separate themselves from it. But at the same time, by removing themselves from the equation, they removed their ability to directly impact local change. It was like a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. And let's not forget the college athletes as well, right? For many, the desire to play anywhere other than Mississippi had to be really strong, looking to bring their talents to an environment that communicates a holistic appreciation for the player and not just an appreciation for what they can do on the court or on the field. Thanks to the boldness of athletes like Kylan Hill at Mississippi State, who inspired not just his own coach, but a massive coalition of coaches and administrators from Mississippi's eight public universities to appear at the state legislature calling for change. We know just how much of an impact sports conferences and young players specifically have. Aside from building the economy, we need young people across the country, and in this case, youth within Mississippi, for their ability to question the status quo and their willingness to lead and organize. Yep, that's right. Look at us millennials go. We're definitely changing the game. Yeah, Bo, even those like you who are just in the border of millennialhood. Hey, I still make the cut. Barely. But look, this episode isn't about us. It's about Gen Z, if we're being honest. The youth that are ushering in a new future for Mississippi and how their efforts led to changing the state flag. I'm Bo York. I'm Shalise Grove. And this is Red Flag. First up, we've got Macy Brown, a writer, speaker, community organizer, and activist who has been a voice both on the local and national stage since the age of 14. Bo, do you remember what you were doing at 14 years old? That's like, what, junior high? (sighs) To be honest, I'd rather not. (laughs) Hey, I'm proud of my formative school years, but even I can't boast being asked to speak at a rally at the nation's capital at 14 years old. It was either my eighth or ninth grade summer. um, I went up to a rally that they had at the, yeah, at the U.S. Capitol in D.C. And I spoke and like Dr. Michael Eric Dyson spoke. I mean, like some pretty cool people. Like back then, I had no idea who those people were or like why (laughs) they were significant. But Mm -hmm. like now, I'm like, oh, like the man I see on CNN. Like that's pretty cool. Now I go back and look at it. So yeah, I went to a rally there um, and spoke. I think that was about 2016, 2017. Because the flag, it was this popular news piece like every couple of years. Like it would like resurface and people would be like, oh my God, that's racist. That was like the hot topic at that moment. But it seems like now it became a hot topic again, but it's like the energy surrounding it completely transformed um, than like what we've seen like a really long time when the flag conversation has been brought up. 
Connecting with Macy was great, especially when we figured out that she was a student at the Mississippi Youth Media Program, back when I was teaching podcasting there. Now, granted, she chose the writing team instead of the podcast team, but you know, there's no accounting for taste. But it makes sense. Having written articles for the Jackson Free Press at an early age, and coming from a legacy of educators, she puts a high value on the importance of understanding history. In fact, it was in the classroom that the full weight of the flag's meaning took shape and inspired her to take action. I was started in my eighth grade algebra one class when the teacher gave us the opportunity to design a new state flag. Um, and at that time, I really didn't understand what was the need or purpose for a new state flag since we had never really learned about the one that we had now. Once I researched it, I mean, it was just a quick Google search. The information was right there. Nobody just told us about it. Right. And so um, once I found out, you know, what the flag is and what it represents, I was trying to figure out why more people weren't upset about it being there. I wrote an article that was published in Jackson Free Press and picked up a lot of traction here and nationally entitled, you know, the cloth on the stick represents hatred towards me. That piece, even now, going on five years later, still exemplifies how I feel towards the flag and why it made me feel the way that I did. You can't tell black children that, you know, they're worthy of equitable education. You can't tell black children that you want them here. You want them to stay here and attend your public universities that weren't even created for them. But in the same breath, still fly that flag. So fast forward to today. Overnight, nationwide unrest. We don't want to loot. That's not what we out here for. But we do want justice and we want equality. Large crowds of demonstrators in multiple cities getting more violent following the death of George Floyd. In Washington, D.C., protesters setting a large fire just blocks from the White House, shouting, you are the threat to police in riot gear. In Boston, businesses damaged and fires set as protesters clash with police. In New York City, many of the demonstrations peaceful. The message is, is, is we're peaceful. Curfews in effect in more than 20 cities. People marching on a highway bridge, a tanker truck barrels toward the crowd. Chaos in Minneapolis, where Officer Derek Chauvin is now charged with murder after he was seen with his knee on Floyd's neck moments before his death on Memorial Day. Macy is now out of high school, and uprisings across the country sparked the need for young activists to mobilize for their local communities. She links up with friends and fellow organizers to determine, in a nation crying out under the weight of its racial history, what role should Mississippi play? This whole process, this summer, as we call it, Freedom Summer 2020, like everything has hit the fan and everything happened so fast. So it was like the beginning of the summer and, you know, we had seen the BLM SIP page and we were trying to figure out, like, who's behind this page? Like, who are these people? I am Taylor Turnage. Uh, and I'm Calvert White. Co-lead co organizers? Yeah, co-lead organizers. We got started... What, six days five, before the five, five six days before the protest? It really started out as a group chat and an Instagram page. We basically just all got together and was like, it's time for a change and we might as well be the ones to do it. And um, me, Maisie, Calvert, and Timothy, we took the roles as lead organizers because we had already had experience with organizing and civic engagement and things of that nature. Once we figured out who was behind the page, um, the people were just like, yeah, you have free range. Do what you want with it. We kind of took the reins of it and just like, OK, we want this to be something. We want this to be something big. 
Together, along with Timothy Young, a recent graduate of the Jackson State University, and with the support of Erika Bennett from Mississippi Votes, BLM SIP, standing for Black Lives Matter Mississippi, began as a newly founded cohort of young activists with the vision of how Mississippians could speak and act in the moment to step in unison with nationwide cries for justice while calling for political action on a local level. The immediate need for organizing was clear. The time to do so was limited. So yeah, we just, we had we had an Instagram uh, and a Twitter both set up already. And so we kind of put our faces out to legitimize, you know, the, the movement and the page itself. Went from there, you know, we just kind of reached out to people. Um, by the time we already had our team um, assemble, we had already had followers from our personal page and it kind of just took off from there. Other forms of support that we had um, in the planning processes was, of course, the community. The community supported a whole lot. We had support from our elders, mm -hmm. which is something that, you know, it kind of surprised us because we don't really have too much intergenerational conversations going on down here with things of this nature. Right. So to get the support from our elders was very, you know, humbling and a very special experience for me personally. So the community, our elders, we had support from Mississippi Votes. They were That's our biggest supporters. Actually, the workers and the staff of Mississippi Votes are now our advisors right, the, for, the executive director yeah, and the program manager. for the organization. So they're completely invested in this organization. We also had support from Mississippi's NAACP, which Calvert and I are both members of. I'm currently the Mississippi state president for the Youth and College Division. And Calvert is the assistant secretary for the Youth and College Division. And he's also the vice president uh, for Alcorn's NAACP chapter. So we had support from a lot of people. And without that support, we honestly wouldn't have been able to, you know, put together such a historical event it's as it was. Notice, yeah. the, the first thing we were trying to get done is, you know, youth civic engagement. Uh, getting the young people uh, active, getting them to understand some of these processes, uh, to be vocal um, and to get involved. So let's pause here for just a quick moment, because I think it's fair to say that while, as a general statement, Black Lives Matter should be an accepted truth by anyone living in a free and just land, there is a broad lack of understanding about the history of the hashtag and how the various organizations are structured. For one thing, there is a singular BLM organization that came from the first users of the hashtag. Alicia Garza, Patrice Kalur, and Opal Tometi launched the social media platform to help local communities seeking to protect and uplift Black Americans in the fight for equal justice. While critics of the movement try to paint BLM as just the one singular organization, in all actuality, the formation of BLM organizations around the country happened just like this one a group of local activists organizing for the betterment of their communities. So back to our group at BLM SIP. As they announced the details of the protests, it was quickly becoming clear that, as with other demonstrations around the country, this was not going to be just another normal march. There had been rallies on the Capitol before, several with the focus on the state flag specifically, but nothing to the scale that would occur on this day. Honestly, we, we initially planned for it to be around three to 500 people. Uh, that's what we were expecting. That's what we were told. Which would have been huge compared right, to exactly. what people well, yeah. in itself. Uh, and so we were getting ready for that. People were bringing in donations as early as, what, Tuesday? Mm -hmm. The Tuesday before that Saturday. Uh, and so we had some of the, the supplies already. We had the, the people there to do it. There were people that were volunteering 
uh, to, you know, either get our bags ready or supplies, food, water, that kind of thing. That whole planning process was super tedious and took a lot out of us. Um, I think we really lowballed ourselves in the beginning, but as it inched around and it got close around like Friday, as people were like bringing us donations and bringing everything, they were like, so how many people are y'all expecting? And we're just like, oh, probably like a few hundred, you know? And they were like, no, it's going to be a lot more people out there than you think. Mm. We were just like, okay, like, cool. They were like, yeah, like, it's going to be a lot of people out there just letting you know. And we were just like, okay, thank y'all for having faith. Um, <laughs> thank y'all for being hopeful. Yeah, that's good. And then yeah. we got out there. We were like, whoa, 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 whoa. We came out there on Saturday and we were we were told it was around, you know, 2,000 people or so. And then it was confirmed that it was around like five, five or 6,000 people. Sometimes God has an interesting way of calling our attention to certain situations. Personally speaking, I do not think that George Floyd's murder would have resonated and become the rallying cry for so many if we were not dealing with the pandemic. That's just me. Mm. I think that Americans specifically, we live really fast lives. And because of our fast lives and because of how desensitized we become to things like this, I don't think if we were just living our normal, everyday, hot girl summers, we would have taken, we would have blinked more than twice. I think that he would just have become another name that rappers use in songs, another picture on a t-shirt and something that we would have forgotten about in a couple of weeks. This pandemic has caused everybody to slow down. It's called everybody to sit down and it's caused everybody to think. The lead up to the march would see interactions from both the city and state representatives from the highest level, some public and some more personal. As far as the state goes, the trust between demonstrators and Governor Tate Reeves was all but non-existent. During the day of the protests, uh, I think many of us saw that the governor of Mississippi tweeted out to the organizers offering up some masks. Tell us what the relationship between organizers and the governor was throughout the process of putting together the uh, the march. Even if you just take a glance at my Twitter, I think that me and Tay Reed's relationship um, is pretty self-evident. There is none. And well, so, <laughs> and so um, I think that, you know, with the protest um, and him offering up, you know, the mask, Really, the biggest issue with that, there wouldn't have, personally for me, speaking for me, there wouldn't have even been an issue. I mean, even if he was like, y'all can pick it up or something, or we'll like leave it outside. But the moment that he like inserted that, oh, and we'll also have highway patrol to deliver them, is when I was like, like, get off my timeline. We, during that entire process, anybody who was at the protest, police presence was literally at minimum to none. And we had no issue. He, from the very beginning of this protest planning process, had been preparing to deploy forces on the day of the protest in case of a riot or a loot, just because that's what he automatically assumed. He 
he assumed that this couldn't have possibly been as peaceful as it was and stayed as peaceful as it was for how many people we were expecting out there, how many people were out there. And so with the, you know, and, and we respectfully declined just because, you know, we often associate police with like, oh, ensuring safety. But for us who were like, no, a heavy police presence is only going to scare people. And that's going to heighten the likelihood of confrontation, not between protesters, but between the protesters and police. Because right now, these protesters are angry with people who have badges and guns. The last thing they want to see is more people with badges and guns policing their First Amendment right to assemble. The record turnout catching everyone off guard was likely a blessing. Without an unnecessary escalated police presence, the protests were entirely civil. The voices empowered and their message clear. Take action now, starting with the flag. I think it's also worth noting that while the organizers saw efforts from the governor's office to be disingenuous, to say the least, the relationship with the city was an entirely different story. Shokwe and Tarlamumba, Jackson's mayor, was voted into office in 2017, running on a campaign that inspired young voters to take ownership of their city while calling for radical action where needed. This level of trust left open doors for supporters from the city, including the mayor meeting directly with the organizers. Uh, And so it was really interesting to see, you know, firsthand and and meeting the mayor of Jackson and talking to him. He kind of ran us through some some logistics and what to think about before the protesters were walking around the day before. Uh, You know, he was asking us, you know, what our intentions were, what we were planning to do. Um, You know, we kind of told him the the gist of it and being a protest outside the governor's mansion, uh, where we were going to make sure that that was permitted to um, walk on. Uh, things of that nature. And then he was kind of just talking to us about the, the time that we're in, saying that, you know, this is a this is a very crucial moment, um, you know, in, in America's history and Mississippi's history, frankly. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of up to us to decide in what trajectory that we're going to head towards, you know, after during the after this protest. Um, so it was really good to get some words of wisdom from him. I have met the mayor on a couple of occasions. His wife is actually a professor at my college. So, you know, we have the privilege of sometimes having him on campus to speak to us. Out of all the mayors that I've seen in Jackson, you know, over my 23 years of living, he's the most in tune to me with the youth and the most in tune with the situations and the occurrences that we go through throughout America as Black youth. So that's one thing that I appreciate from him is he's supportive of the youth and things that we're trying to do to better the state, better the city, and better America. We actually did have support um, from the city in this whole organizing process. I think even they were kind of surprised by the turnout that we did have. But Mayor Lamumba and his team, they were um, they were supportive of what we were trying to do. Um, I think they were just as excited for us as we were. It is it's very sobering because, you know, when, you, when you're kind of the only people that are into this kind of thing, you feel like you know a lot until you meet people like that, you know, um, and then you realize you have so much more to learn. It was it was incredible to uh, be in these positions uh, and talk about what we were trying to do and communicating because it's a blessing to be able to communicate through these generational lenses. On June 6, 2020, in the Southern Heat, thousands of protesters took to the streets of Jackson, Mississippi, and across the region, rallying for justice, equality, equity, and action from our legislators, starting with one simple demand, change the flag. A symbolic gesture to be sure, but one definitely made to send a message. 
that of all places, with all the baggage of its history, with the generational weight and efforts of suffering, oppression, and terror, that in this state, black lives matter. Bob Moses reminded us that when you want to look at America, you got to look where? If Mississippi is ready for change, then everybody is ready for change. So we thank you, Jackson. We thank you, Mississippi. And on behalf of the United States, they'll thank us in the future. Well, I think firstly, you know, with the flag, um, I think that not only the protests, but just the climate of the times really put a lot of pressure on legislators to get this one right. Because I think they all felt they got this one wrong in 2020 summer. Hmm. You mean to tell me you can't bring down the flag? They would have known they would have shot themselves in the foot and made it a lot harder on themselves. Bipartisan talks among local representatives had already begun only a few days prior. But it cannot be understated what the overwhelming physical support of these protesters did to help empower those working to find the path to change. And I just want people to know, we don't we don't think that we're the reason that the flag came down. We know that this has been a long, long, long fight, you know, because there are people saying that we're the sole reason that it came down. We We understand that there are so many more people that that had you know a part in that flag coming down the fact that the conversation start the protest was on saturday and the conversation started being had on on the next monday right. it's just very it's very telling to me that there's strength in numbers mm-hmm. and because in the beginning i think they thought that this was going to be like some little sham protest where it was going to be like maybe 10 or 15 people but to have over 5,000 people shouting and chanting in front of the governor's mansion in a state where (laughs) racial tensions are almost just how they were back in the 60s. It's it's a very strong message sent out that there are strength in numbers. And if you don't think they are, take this protest into account. So many people have labored to get us to this point most of whose names will never be known. And for what? Was this change simply cosmetic? Or are we seeing the beginning of a renewed energy in the students and youth of Mississippi, ready to plant roots and do the hard work of showing the world not who we were, not even who we are, but who we can be? series finale of Red Flag, we go behind the closed doors of Mississippi Legislature to find out just what went down in the room where it happened. 